Good morning. Welcome. Good to see you here this morning. As always, if you're a guest of ours, we are honored to have you with us today. And I want to welcome you to a brand new year, the very first Sunday of 2022, which is always kind of a strange Sunday for us preachers, because on one hand, this Sunday is pretty much like every other Sunday, and this sermon's pretty much like every other sermon, but on the other hand, it is a new year, and we have been sort of conditioned, we've been sort of trained to think about new beginnings at the beginning of a year, kind of new opportunities, new challenges, to make some New Year's resolutions. And of course, our New Year's resolutions, we hope, are going to be something that, uh, you know, is better, something that where we improve, where we get some growth. Benjamin Franklin said this about the new year, be always at war with your vices, at peace with your neighbors, and may each new year find you a better man. That's nice, right? That's good. He was a wise guy. Edith Lovejoy Pierce said this, we will open the book. Its pages are blank. We will put words on them ourselves. The name of the book is Opportunity. The first chapter begins New Year's Day. Ooh, that's good. That's deep, right? And while all of us would like to go into a new year with those kind of lofty expectations, usually our New Year's resolutions aren't quite as idealistic. We probably um, understand and uh, relate to Calvin and Hobbes a little bit better than Benjamin Franklin. Hobbes asked Calvin, are you making any resolutions for the new year? And Calvin says, yeah, I'm resolving to just wing it and see what happens. <laughs> so you're staying the course. And Calvin says, I stick to my strengths. You know, as much as we would like our New Year's resolutions to be dramatic and remarkable and maybe even life-changing, most of us have lived through enough Januaries to understand that New Year's resolutions are very easy to make. They are very hard to keep. Easy to make, hard to keep. Keith and I both found the same joke this week. Two women sitting talking to each other, and one of the women says to the other, my New Year's resolution this year is not to put my foot in my mouth all the time. And then she looked at her friend and said, I bet yours is to lose some weight, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, those resolutions, they are easy to make. But they are hard to keep. They're hard for individuals to keep. They are hard for churches to keep. And I think one of the reasons why they're so hard to keep is, is described there by Calvin himself. It's just really hard to do something new. It's just really difficult to change. We get so used to doing what we've always done. We get so comfortable being who we've always been that we don't really see the need or the worth of making significant changes. And before you start pointing to your spouse or your kids or your parents or me, let me say this, I get it. I understand why resolutions are so hard to keep. I understand why it's so difficult. And it's not because we don't want to do better. It's not because we don't want to be better. We all want to do better. We all want to be better. You know, one big reason why 
why we find it so hard to shift what we do and how we do it is because our lives are anything but simple. We're really busy. We are all really busy. Everything, everyone in this room, we all have something in common. Our lives are really hectic. If I ask for a show of hands of how many of you have been exhausted through the holidays, probably, if you're honest, most people will raise their hands. No, life is just hard. Life is exhausting. We get so wrapped up. We get so bogged down. We're just keeping our head above water, just keeping all the plates spinning, that we don't really have the energy, let alone the time, to change what we're doing. No, we kind of hope for the best and, and wing it. Because there's so much going on. And that didn't begin with our generation, by the way. There's always been so much going on in people's lives. Think back to the first century, uh, that world where Jesus lived, those Jewish individuals, they had a lot going on. They were trying to keep a lot of plates spinning. They were trying to keep track of a lot of things. The Jews loved to count things in the first century. They loved to keep track of things. There's Ten Commandments. That's easy to keep track of. Okay. But how about all the other laws? How many laws are there in in the Torah? Well, it depends on what rabbi you're listening to. Some say 635. Some say 638. Some will count 714 different laws, different commandments in the Torah. Whatever rabbi you were listening to, that's that's who was telling you these things. And the, the whole society became so anxious in getting it right. And they became so obsessed with doing it right. No wonder they asked Jesus questions like, why aren't your disciples washing their hands? Because we saw them eat without washing their hands, and the law says they're supposed to wash their hands. What's up with that? And no wonder they asked Jesus questions like, why are you talking to that woman? And they asked Jesus questions like, why are you eating with those people? Or we saw your disciples picking some grain on the Sabbath. What's up with that? Because the law says you can't pick grain on the Sabbath. You can't do that kind of work. They asked Jesus questions like, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And all of that was just those poor guys trying to keep 638 commandments straight. Just trying to keep it all straight. You know, I've entitled this sermon today, Simplify. And I want to be sure that you leave here today with a very simple message going into a new year. And the simple message that I want to be sure you get today is the response that Jesus gave when he was asked one of those, you got to get it right questions by those Jewish people. Uh, Mark says this, records it this way in Mark chapter 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Notice that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And of course, we know the agenda that's that's on the table here. They're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to trap him into saying something that they can disagree with or they can argue about. And yet, Jesus' answer is so simple. You know, our world is really into simple right now. You think about the phone that's in your pocket right now or in your purse or the one you're looking at right now. You think about what a smartphone can do and it's mind-boggling. We have almost unlimited information in the palm of our hand. 
There is an app for almost everything that we can do through our smartphone. But the real genius of a smartphone is it took all of that technology and all of that creativity and it condensed it into this little thing that we can hold in our hands. And if it wasn't that way, if it wasn't so simple to use, if it wasn't so intuitive, you know, nobody over 40 would have a phone, right? Because we wouldn't know how to use it. But some really smart people spent a lot of time and a lot of effort to get something that complicated this simple. And Jesus does the same thing. Jesus is going to take those 638 commandments and he's going to condense it all down into something that everybody can remember, everybody can understand, everybody can get. Here's how he answered the question. What's, what's the greatest command? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Matthew's account, Jesus also adds, all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus says, this is going to wrap it up right here. You want the, the Reader's Digest version? You want something you can remember? Here it is. Write it down. Pay attention. Love God. Love people. There you go. Love God. Love people. Take all those 638 commandments. You won't remember them all. See if you can remember this. Love God. Love people. And, and I'm sure those people listening to Jesus had to wonder, as do we, could it really be that simple? Could it be that simple? Really? Now, now you need to understand, Jesus isn't the first rabbi to be asked this question. Yeah, there's an agenda going on. Yeah, they're trying to entrap Jesus. But that's a pretty common question for rabbis. What's the greatest commandment? Because the way a rabbi would answer that question would shed a lot of light on where that rabbi is coming from. So Jesus has asked, what's the greatest commandment? And there's a lot of ways Jesus could have answered that question. You know, he could have said, the greatest commandment is the one you're about to break. Ooh. Yeah. The greatest commandment is the one you need today. Yeah. The greatest commandment, they're all the greatest because just like you know, bricks build up a wall, these are, they all lay on top of each other and they build this strong wall. They're all important. They're all great. Ooh, yeah. Jesus could have said any of those things. He could have answered in a really deep way, you know, a really mysterious kind of uh, response. He could have answered their question with a question, which he did sometimes. He could have answered their question by telling a parable that was really hard to understand, which he did sometimes. He could have just ignored the question, which he did sometimes, but he doesn't do it this time. In fact, he, he surprises his audience. Instead of simply giving them one of the commands, he gives them the Shema. What Jesus quotes there is the Jewish Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Every Hebrew child knew that passage. It was the first thing they memorized. As soon as they learned to talk, Jewish children learned the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Everybody knew that. It would be like me saying, 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the... Yeah, we know that. I can never remember not knowing that song. It's just part of my consciousness. Everybody knows that. Even people that don't think that Jesus loves me knows the song, Jesus loves me, right? So Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and all your strength. What's he just done? He's taken all the law and all the prophets, and he's condensed it down into something everybody can get. He's condensed it down into basically what they've always known, the Shema. But then he adds something to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second command. There's no commandment greater than these. You know, if you think you can only keep two, here they are. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Not just a little bit. Not just tolerate them. Not just be able to be in the same room, you know, for an hour. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I don't know about you, but I could work the rest of my life working on those two commands. I could spend the rest of my days trying to perfect loving God and loving my neighbor as I love myself. And most people would probably say that second commandment's actually tougher than the first. You know, God's easy to love, right? God's very lovable. God's very loving. My neighbor, not always so much. My neighbor's not quite as lovable as God is. It's challenging to love your neighbor as yourself. Because if I can just be honest with you this morning... I am really good at loving myself. In fact, I am great at loving myself. I don't think anybody loves me more than I love me. I take really good care of myself. When I'm thirsty, I make sure me gets a drink. And when I'm hungry, I make sure me gets something to eat. If I'm uncomfortable, I make sure me gets comfortable. At the end of the day, I like to sit in my chair eating a bowl of ice cream, watching a ball game. You know, I I take really good care of me. And Jesus says, okay, Tim, what if you took all that effort and all that attention and you turned it toward your neighbor and you directed that toward others? Love God. Love people. Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Simple, right? It is so simple. Easy? No, it's not. Simple does not equate to easy. They are two different things. Just because something simple doesn't mean it's easy. And I prove it to you with two very simple words. I do. <laughs> Need I say more? Really simple words, right? Ooh, but that's tough. Those two words are going to take a lot of work. A lot of effort. Or, you have a son. You have a daughter. Simple, right? Easy? No. (laughs) Oh my goodness. What What a wonderful, beautiful, challenging, difficult phrase, right? 
represents a lifetime of love, but a lifetime of work as well. I'll give you another word that's simple, but it is not easy. And that's the word disciples. Discipleship. Jesus' last words on this earth was, go and make disciples of all nations. And we all know the definition of a disciple. It's a follower. Someone who follows a teacher, a student. Simple? Yeah. Easy? Hardly. It's not easy at all. As my dad used to say, if it was easy, everyone would do it. But it comes back to loving God and loving people. I think it comes back also to being devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It comes back to, to very simple, very difficult things that we're commanded to do and we're commanded to be. It comes back to a decision not just to know, but to do. Not just to, to believe something, but to act on that belief. I am sure, I say I'm sure, I'm pretty sure, that I am speaking to a room of believers. Unless someone drugged you here today. No, I, in this room, we're all believers. We believe in God. You believe in Jesus. You believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross. We get that. But just belief can be a very passive activity. You know, when you read your Bible, especially the New Testament, it is obvious that God is calling us to go so much deeper than just belief. You know how many times the word believer is used in the New Testament to describe someone who follows Jesus? Anyone want to take a guess? It's a good word. It is used, by the way. It's a great word. You know want to guess how many times the word believer is used? You don't want to be wrong, right? Yeah. 20, about, depending on what translation you use. Right around 20 times the word believer is used to describe someone who follows Jesus. Want to guess how many times the word disciple is used in the New Testament? 250, give or take, depending on what translation you use. Now, of course, I am not minimizing or negating the importance of belief. Of course, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying that God is calling us to go deeper. And God is calling us to be disciples and to make disciples. And again, we know what that word means. It means a follower of a teacher. It means literally to walk in my teacher's footsteps, to act like my teacher, which means if we're going to call ourselves disciples, who do we act like? Then Come on, you know this one. Who do we act like? Jesus. If we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, we've got to live like Jesus. We've got to forgive like Jesus. We have to accept people like Jesus did. We have to serve like Jesus. We have to love like Jesus. Which means we're going to have to make some changes. How many people here have already achieved Jesus status? Anyone? Yeah, we're not there yet, right? So we all have some growing to do. And if we're going to do some growing, it's going to mean some changes. It's going to mean some commitment. It's going to mean a... uh, a resolution. John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. 
If we claim that we're going to live in him, which I think we claim that, then we're going to have to walk as Jesus walked. Luke tells us this in Luke chapter 14. Great crowds were following Jesus, which is about to change. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my follower, you must love me more than you love your own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, more than your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be a believer. That's not what he said. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And you cannot be my disciple if you do not carry your own cross and follow me. And then he adds in verse 28, but don't begin until you count the cost. There is going to be a cost involved. But it certainly sounds like Jesus is calling us to go deeper than just belief. He's calling us to action. He's calling us to, to do something. Love God. Love people. Pretty simple words, right? Simplify. Yeah, great. I'm all for it. But what do I do? What do I need to do? Love God. Love people. What's that look like? For the next couple weeks, I am going to be connecting some of these ideas with our 242 focus of being devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And I think this focus fits perfectly with what Jesus has just identified as the two greatest commandments to love God and to love people. Loving God. It can be a very personal thing. That can be a very private thing. I can love God in the privacy of my own heart. When I praise God, when I am devoted to the apostles' teaching, when I'm devoted to prayer... I'm showing my love for God. Love people. That's a little bit more public. That's a little bit more demonstrative. When I'm committed to the fellowship, when I'm devoted to hospitality, I'm loving people. In fact, my motivation for obeying the second commandment only comes by obeying the first commandment. My motivation to love people only comes from me loving God more. The more I love God, I'm going to be driven to love people more. I I can't say, oh, I love God, but yeah, I'm not a big fan of people. And I'm an introvert. I'm happy to, you you invite me to your house and make yourself at home, I'll say, good, you leave. I don't mind being by myself. But if I'm going to love God... I'm going to have to love people. And it's going to have to be demonstrated. The people that I'm loving are going to have to understand that I love them. And that's going to make a commitment. That's going to take a a commitment. I can't fully love God without loving others. There's just something wrong with the picture of someone who says, I'm a Christian man, but who's kind of a jerk around people. Something wrong with that picture. And there's something a little bit wrong about a woman who says, I'm a very godly woman, but it's really difficult to be around. There's something wrong with that picture. It reminds me of those highlights magazines that we had when I was a kid. I think they still have them, by the way. But my favorite part of those growing up was they had a section which said, what's wrong with a picture? 
Remember those? And you look through the picture, you're like, okay, that does not fit. You know, that shouldn't be there. It's the same thing when I say, oh, I love God, but no one would know that I love anybody else. No, there's something wrong with that picture. It's something very confusing. It doesn't fit. We can't be growing in our love for God and not be growing in our love for other people. We can't be maturing as believers and not be maturing as disciples. So, for the coming year, I guess we could adopt uh, uh, Calvin's New Year's resolution. We can just wing it, see what happens. We could stick to our strengths, or we could allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. And rather than relying on our strengths, we, we could be relying on the strength of God. But again, it's going to take a commitment. It's going to take a resolution to do something different moving forward than we've done in the past. In the next couple of weeks, I am going to be sharing with you some things that we are challenging this family to do in 2022. I'll be introducing some ways that that I think we can better fulfill those greatest commandments and challenging us and tell you the truth, I'm expecting us to all commit to doing some things differently. And we're going to give you some opportunities and, and some ways to do some things a little bit differently. And by the time we get to the end of the month, there's going to be an expectation and there's going to be some opportunities for you to better devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So I'm just, I'm just warning you. Get ready as we try to better love God and love people in 2022 because I am convinced it really is that simple. Easy? Nope. Simple? Yes. So that's my challenge as we go into this new year. You're going to be hearing more about these challenges uh, in the next couple of weeks. But for this morning, Dave's got a song that we're going to sing as a song of encouragement, as always. As a church family, if we can help you in any way, if you meet us down front, we'd love to do that. Let's be standing while we sing.